This is the Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share with Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico, who you can find both on Twitter. Adam can be found at ReallyAdamB, and Marco can be found at ScrimmageAndStats.com, and of course, at The Hockey Expert. I'm AJ Cordero. Welcome to this week's episode. We are recording this on Wednesday, September the 29th, 2021, around 6.48 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone, but you don't need that information. What you do need is the latest in the hockey world. And let's start off with the Habs and their latest signing from the Winnipeg Jets and the implications that could mean for the D-pairings this season. Adam, bring us in. So the Habs just signed uh, defenseman Sami Niku to a basically one-year deal, a two-way contract, uh, which I don't know what Marco thinks about it, but it's kind of interesting how it's going to push down some of the already established defensemen from maybe the lineup. Uh, I I mean, I, I like the signing right off the bat. He's a former 50-plus point defenseman in the AHL, which I didn't know before. Um, and look, honestly, what we saw from... I, I believe he even scored his first NHL goal against the Habs, right? We'll see what happens, but I like... It's a it's a depth signing, and he might just get a new start to his career with the Habs and, and just um, make, his, uh, make himself a spot in, in our lineup. It changes a few things. First off, I think it solidifies Matthias Norlander going back to Sweden. I think that... You know, that that slot of offensive defenseman um, isn't filled if the Canadians thought that Norlander was ready. Um, so that's first off. Second, uh, it really comes to mix up the cards uh, for a guy like uh, Chris Weidman, who signed with the Montreal Canadiens, also a one-year deal, um, to be kind of that third-pair uh, offensive guy that's going to play on the second power play wave. I think... Niku was dealt a bad hand by Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice in Winnipeg uh, is a coach that very much likes, um, a little like Mark Bergevin, the big towering defenseman uh, on his back end. Uh, and Sammy Niku, unfortunately, didn't fit that mold. Um, you know, fortunately for him now, there is a significant need for the Montreal Canadiens to have a puck-moving left defenseman or at least a left-handed defenseman on the power play. I feel like you know, you already have Petrie that's the, the right-handed uh, power play general on the first wave. And now that gives Nico an opportunity on the second wave, uh, which could be interesting. So um, I think this is bad news for, uh, for a guy like Norlander, uh, although I think it was pretty obvious that he wasn't yet ready for the NHL. Um, and then obviously you can have this conversation about what does this mean for Brett Kulak? What does this mean for, you know, Chris Weidman? Um I think camp is going to be what's going to really, you know, mix the cards for us. Um, there is a game on Friday. There's a game, I believe, also on Saturday. And then next week, there's two games, um, if I'm not mistaken, Tuesday and Thursday, or if not Wednesday, Thursday. Um, so four games really for these three defensemen to take the two last spots. Um, so it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, do I think, for example, a guy like Caden Gooley is affected by this? Absolutely not. I think he goes back to junior. But um, ultimately, it's a no-gamble situation. Worst-case scenario, doesn't make the team, and he is waived. Now, the benefit here is if you look at his contract, it's a two-way contract. Now, that doesn't mean he's exempt from waivers, but what it does mean is he does have a specific salary if waived. So if he is sent to Laval, it's not the usual or the AHL in general. It's not usually... Uh, you know, a high amount. Generally, it's about a hundred thousand on on those cut types of contracts. His AHL salary is four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. 
I think a lot of teams are going to stay away from that because that's quite the expenditure for someone who's going to be playing in your, in, in your American Hockey League team. So even if he's waived, I feel like he would pass through waivers no problem, and that would be great depth for Laval. Either way, no risk signing. Um, and should things work out for him in Laval, he could be recalled if there's an injury. So again, uh, in my opinion, no risk move, calculated no risk move. Um, I'm not going to throw flowers at Bergeron, but that was a smart move in my opinion. And that's probably why they structured the contract that way with such a high um, contract salary contract at at the AHL level, right? Because it's it's also interesting to see that he's going to be an RFA at the end of the year, so we retain his rights uh, even after that one year contract. So if he does if he does well, there's there's a future for him in in Montreal. Honestly, I like this signing right off the bat, but after seeing Weidman play this, uh, I saw him play uh, Sunday in the intra-squad game, and I saw him play, I believe it was yesterday night against uh, Toronto, or Monday night against Toronto, and he had one point, one power play assist, and honestly, he looked good, and he's the type of, I feel like he's the type of defenseman that we lacked last year, like this puck-moving defenseman that could get power play time and just move the puck around. We, I forget who was the guy we brought in last year to play Gustafson, right? I feel like he's an upgrade from Gustafson and he has everything to prove, right? He's a guy back from the KHL. He wants to, to earn his spot back in, in the big league here. So he has everything to prove and everything to lose, I guess. Ultimately, for me, I don't think Weidman is necessarily that big of an upgrade on, on Gustafson. I think they're pretty much equal footing. I think that Nico has more potential to be more than just a power play specialist. And that's kind of why I like the move. Uh, he could have signed in, in, in a few other places than Montreal. Uh, let's be fair. There are a lot of teams that could have given him guaranteed minutes, but he would like to earn a spot here. Um, so I liked the way that was structured. I like that. Um, I like the way that, you know, this move kind of came about and all this really does is, is add depth to a defensive core that doesn't really have much star power going on right now. So if you don't have a lot of talent overall, offensive talent, then the best thing you can do is to fill, uh, you know, everything that you got with a lot of depth. And that's what the Montreal Canadiens are doing here. Will it work out for the best? We got to get games to play to, to see how this plays out right now. Um, you know, I think there only two preseason games were played. Uh, there's not enough, you know, to, to sink our teeth into right now. And unfortunately, there's a four-day break. Uh, so just a lot of talking over the first two preseason games for, an you know, an inordinately long training camp this year. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see next week when we record what we've come to as an observation from possibly three games by that point so it's going to be very interesting in any case welcome to the biblon rouge we hope you do well and uh what well, let's uh hope and root for the best for him because he did uh didn't he play for the moose back in the day for his rookie season or something like that does that make sense he played for the manitoba moose when he was in the ahl and he won like the the norris version of the ahl trophy at that yeah trophy. he won the best defenseman award absolutely so let's uh let's root for him uh again welcome to the same spot now now jumping to one of the biggest off-season acquisitions of the montreal canadians 
unfortunately will be missing the majority of training camp with an undisclosed lower body injury. We're talking, of course, about Mike Hoffman, who Dominic Ducharme revealed on Saturday will be missing up to four weeks with an injury. Marco, take us where we need to go. I mean, ultimately, uh, he was injured right before coming to camp. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. And I ultimately would have loved to see him play right now because he likely would have slotted next to a guy like Jake Evans. Um, and it's believed that he would be out uh, four weeks as of yesterday, uh, as of last week. So he'd probably miss a week of the regular season at most. Um, but again, not having a training camp, new team. Uh, I think that the first couple of games for Mike Hoffman in consequence are going to be a little tough. Uh, and for that, I hope that folks are uh, a little bit more patient with him, but definitely not fun for him. And it's going to be interesting to see where he slots in. Like we, we saw, I think so far, the only line that's, that's really set in stone that we're going to see debut uh, at the start of the season is that Vorak, um, Anderson, and Drouin line, which honestly, wow, what a what a line. We saw against Toronto last game, the Dvorak put up four points. Drouin looked really good. He, he looked... Like he he came back to play right. He's ready to play. He's a hundred percent healthy and and Anderson just being Anderson as always. So I think that's second. That's the label they get. That second line for the Habs is pretty much set in stone. For um for that top line with that 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 Suzuki line with Toffoli and Caulfield, we saw um we saw Caulfield miss uh, some of the games. We didn't see him at the intra squad game. He was apparently hurt or not a hundred percent. And we saw Gallagher last practice, I believe, slot in next to Suzuki and Toffoli. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those lines. But definitely that third line, if you get a guy like Hoffman, a guy like maybe Gallagher, maybe a Caulfield to start, who knows, that that third center is going to really have a, an offensive line with potentially two former 30 goal scorers, right? You know, there are many options here that could have gone... Uh and benefited a guy like Jake Evans having two 30 goal scorers on each side. I think that, that is, that's eventually what's going to happen. I don't think Paling's going to get the third line spot. I think a lot of people are seeing prospects in technicolors. Um, I think it's very clear what the organization wants to do. They want to put Jake Evans in the third line spot. I mean, he has much more NHL experience at this point than Paling does. Um, you know, ended the year really strong, uh, was doing really good in the playoffs prior to, uh, prior to Mark Shifley running him over like an 18-wheeler. And so I feel like at this point, give him the ball and let him run with it. If he's not able to hold the third-line spot by a quarter-season mark, then you try paling. But this is a perfect time to ease paling into the NHL. Uh, you have a really good... Uh, set of wingers that you can give them for the for a fourth line much better than most teams um and so you know having for example you know if if he's good to go but if, if say hoffman and gallagher on the third line giving paling a guy like armia on one end and you know uh peror lekanin uh you know on, on the left wing that is pretty substantial uh in terms of insulating a young player breaking into the NHL. I think you're giving him the right tools to advance his game. Um, and so I think we're going to let the chips fall where they fall. But in a situation like this specifically, I think Evans three paling four. Um, and, and that's how it'll be to start. Now, if paling is able to quickly adapt and improve, then you'll likely see him in the third line slot, you know, by quarter to midpoint in the year. 
but he's got to earn it. He's not going to be given it. So, so you basically see Paling starting at as four C, and then you just see guys like because Perrault's probably going to make the lineup. He looked good. He's a he's a talented player that that plays now more of a role in 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 the team, especially for the Habs now. So you see a guy like Paquette and Lekin and pro like most probably getting scratched at some point in in this season, right? Especially when Byron comes back, like. Do you scratch Bayern? Do you scratch Paquette? Is is Lekkonen even getting a spot? Like there, there's a bunch of of like question marks all over this lineup right now. Like Lekkonen, um, I feel like he's on his last legs in Montreal. I think even Dominic Ducharme mentioned, uh, you know, he's challenging him to be a little bit more offensively consistent and and be more than just a fourth liner because it is going to be probably the most expensive fourth line in the league. Uh, you know, Armia 3.4 million, uh, Lekkonen 2.3 million, if not Byron 3.4 million. That's almost 10 million wrapped up in fourth liners. Although, in fairness, Armia is more likely a third liner. Um, that's that's nonsensical. You can't afford to have that moving forward, especially if you have to re-sign guys like Suzuki, Caulfield, Romanov uh, in a very, you know, recent, uh, you know, immediate future. For me, personally, I think that this is like an in-swan song. I think that his value is very high from a good playoff perspective. Um, I think a team is going to be, you know, a, a team that's going to be pushing for a cup that's got some space is going to want to to acquire a player like him, maybe for a good prospect or, you know, a second-round pick and, and, and some stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if Lekkonen is moved by the time Byron's ready to start. Uh, and I wouldn't even be surprised if Byron is bought out next summer. So, like... You're seeing a lot of opportunity here because there are a lot of young wingers. Yelonen, uh, Harvey Pennard, Caulfield's already making the team. Um, there are a lot of young wingers that are pushing, that likely will be pushing and will be ready. Even Teasdale, when he comes back from injury, will be ready to at least start the fourth line. And we haven't even talked about Cedric Par uh, Paquette or Mathieu Perrault, who, in, in, in the way that I've discussed already, would be periphery players. Those guys could be inserted for minimum salary and probably achieve the exact same thing as a Byron or a Lekkonen. So a third of, it, it, a know, third of with, the price, right? Like a third, well, minimum salary, and that's unless it's a prospect, you should be making minimum salary playing on the fourth line of any NHL team. I'm sorry, and and so if you're going to reach a point, because right now, guys, if if you don't know this, Montreal's first line costs less than Montreal's fourth line. That is, that's it's the only team in the NHL where this is happening. So, again, players like Lekanen, players like Armia. Armia just signed his long-term contract, so I think he's safe. But guys like Byron, guys like Lekanen, they're going to have to watch out because that's too expensive a contract for as little return as they're getting. And, you know, I understand qualifying a guy like Lekanen so you don't lose him as an asset. But in the end, I think that he is 100% trade deadline fodder. Uh, if Montreal wants to improve at a position or if they're out of a playoff spot. So I wouldn't worry about where things are going to line up. I think we're going to let the chips fall and see where things go. And and Lekkonen has to be dealt. I just feel like he has to because he's an RFA at the end of the season. So either so you he's going to have to make him. the same thing. You're going to have to exactly. qualify him for and, the same and, salary. It's, and so it comes that fourth to the same line thing. is still too expensive. That's the yeah, thing. Correct. Yeah. So next year, yeah. when you're going to have to pay Nick Suzuki, likely, uh, depending on this season, maybe upwards of six, seven, eight million dollars a year, if you sign him long term, 
you can't afford to have that kind of luxury on the fourth line. And I wouldn't even call it luxury. I call it overpayment on the fourth line. So I understand that Mark Bergevin has a soft spot for his plumbers. But when you have guys like Sherratt coming off the book, uh, Carl Alsner's buyout dropping considerably, the ability to trade a guy like Lekkonen, buy out a guy like Byron, I expect young players like a Norlinder, like a Caden Gooley, like a Teasdale, Harvey Pernard, guys like that uh, to come in and fill those spots and entry-level contract money. And so I wouldn't really be worried. I think that if, if they don't fit in, teams will line up to take them. And we've seen that. You saw it in St. Louis. Look at it in St. Louis. St. Louis, teams lined up for Sanford. And Logan Brown was Logan Brown and a pick was traded for Sanford. So I feel like Lekkonen would be in the same mold, in the same situation. And I feel like a team will pay, especially a trade deadline, when they can renegotiate the contract with the player when they feel like at the salary that they would like. Um, you know, I think it's a no-risk move. And I think this is, unfortunately, Lekkonen's last season. And I feel like you mentioned Armia might be safe, but even him, given no injuries, given that he stays on that bottom line, he's good value for, for contenders, right? At 3.4, he brings more than a fourth-line contribution to your team, and especially for that... Well, he's not a simple He's not a simple fourth-liner. We, we've discussed this at length. He's going to play on the second wave of the power play, most likely. He's going to play on your PK. He's going to play five-on-five. Five. The guy's still going to get 15 to 16 minutes a game anyway. So if you know that, you know that he's not a simple fourth-liner because Montreal rolls four lines. So having 3.4 million next to a minimum salary center and a minimum salary left Isn't winger, well, it balances out, right? But you can't have a seven million dollar fourth line. You just can't. So that's where decisions are going to have to be taken. And I think the Canadians took the decision. They signed Armia long term, not Lekkinen. Uh, and I think the writing's on the wall for Byron, who can't seem to complete a full season anymore. Now, one of us had the very esteemed privilege of being able to return to the Bell Center this week. Uh, we are all jealous. But in any case, we were able to watch some of the exhibition games that took place and some of them that are going to be taking place later this week uh, as before we next record. Uh, Adam, tell us, what was it, first of all, what did it feel like to return and what did you see? And then we'll go from there. Well, so first of all, the Bell, the Bell Center was the Bell Center. You have a, a an interest quad game, red versus white. You have 7,500 people in the Bell Center and it feels like a playoff game for, for most other teams in the league. So that that was pretty amazing. And honestly, just to see two squads full of, of Habs, current Habs and, and prospects coming up, it's just just amazing to see every year. Uh, we saw a bunch of guys, notable uh, players that weren't there. So I we didn't see Gallagher because he wasn't in camp yet. I believe Price was also injured. And we didn't see Caulfield uh, following that 4-1 loss game uh, in Toronto the, the night before. So that let, we'll see what happens with Caulfield, but he he doesn't seem to be 100% to start this season. I don't know if, Marco, you have any idea what might have happened to him. but Yeah, he suffered an upper body injury right before uh, the interest walk game and is out for a week for precautionary purposes. And again... A young player like him that had the playoffs that he did, I'm not really that worried about him like missing a week of camp and coming in for the like the last two games of preseason and playing one of those games to start the season. Like it's for me, it's irrelevant. His spot is assured. It's best to be safe 
and not go into the regular season with a mountain of injuries, especially with the fact that you're going to have to deal with the Stanley Cup final hangover. Um, you're not in a position uh, to be comfortable with injuries. So for me, it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. And as Adam said, it allowed other players uh, to really grab the spotlight uh, and make a name for themselves. Um, in my opinion, another right winger who could also play center that I think really stood out was Josh Hawa. And those, uh, those of you that know me on Twitter know how excited I was from that pick in the fifth round. Former first overall pick in the queue. Uh, really just wasn't given a fair shake in St. John. Uh, and he showed basically the whole world over the last two weeks um, that, you know, maybe that's a second round, late first round talent that the Canadians got in the fifth round uh, because he's a scoring machine. He works hard. Um, his issue, his biggest issue was conditioning. Uh, and over the last nine months or so, uh, that has improved greatly uh, since being traded to the Sherbrooke Phoenix. So I think he opened up a lot of people's eyes. Uh, I know Adam was extremely excited uh, on the group chat whenever he taught, he had anything going on on the ice. He's honestly just, the, he's this small, talented player that you just you just lose sight of him on the ice because he's so good at just finding those those spots to be effective. And, and look, you said it, he works hard. He skates like, a madman like he's always first in the in the corner despite his size like he's pretty small i don't have the exact number but he's this small talented player that works hard and look i just feel like we're gonna see him in 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 laval and very soon and maybe even he could get nhl games in in a couple of years so very he's exciting player small. he's actually quite stocky six foot 190 pounds is he For actually, an 18 year old a that, late 18 year old but keep in mind He's an, he was born August 6th, so at the moment of his being drafted, even though the draft was later this year by a month, he was still 17. He's younger in his draft year than Kakaniemi was in his draft year. And we kept talking about how young Kakaniemi was in comparison to Brady Kachuk. This guy has basically, if he were born five weeks later, he would have been in the 2023, uh, 2022 draft, and likely, if he had the season he's likely to have this season, could have been a first-round pick. So... Not a, he's just a shifty player. He doesn't look big on the ice because he's a compact player. Like Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki is about the same build, about 5'11", 200 pounds. Nick Suzuki does not look massive, but if you go to hit Nick Suzuki in a one-on-one -on -one battle for the puck, more often than not, he's not going to go flying like you think he does because he's stocky that way. Josh was the same way. But Nick Suzuki... Did like he looks bigger this season? I I have to say to have seen him in person, he looks bigger. He looks like more massive of a player than he was, and he he's faster too. Like it, it shows. Like he, I think Marco, you mentioned last week, he's worked on his skating the whole summer since being eliminated, and it shows. Like he's a really good. Like he's a much better skater than he was last year, and he looks like he's gonna have a like. A good start of the season. He's ready to be that number one center. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think they're giving him all the tools to do so. I think that we saw that his chemistry with Caulfield and Toffoli, it was as it always was. So very efficient, lots of scoring chances. Uh, that's not really what uh, I'm really not worried about him producing this year. I think a lot of people were questioning what's going to happen after Suzuki. 
And I think that's what last, what our last game was all about, was watching how that eventual second line of Christian Dvorak, Drouet, and um, Josh Anderson would do. And I mean, it wasn't the Leafs' A-team, and I will not read too much into it, but it was, it's about looking at habits and looking at chemistry and how the puck is moved. And they they checked all the boxes for me. I think that, you know, we, we can say a lot of what we want uh, about Anderson's playoffs and inconsistencies throughout last season. Uh, I think that a lot of ink has already been run on Jonathan Drouin's situation. I think both players are in the right mindset and already have established chemistry together. I think that Christian Dvorak is, as advertised, can fit practically on any line in any situation and excel. Uh, that is going to be, um, you know, pretty interesting. So for me, I think that a Suzuki Dvorak one-two punch is going to fare far better than many analysts think that they are. I agree. I have to agree. And I feel like not to, to put down Kotkin Yemi in any sort of way, but Dvorak is more... This season, as of now, he's more ready to pivot any type of line. Like the the way, given it's it's only ex- exhibition games, he's more confident. He shows that like maybe he shoots more. He's more like he's more ready to do what that second or even one A one B type for center in that team. He's more ready than what Kotkaniemi was last year, at least. And he oh, has more confidence, that, which helps a lot. So we'll see what happens. Right, but, but I I don't think that a guy like Dvorak replaces Kakanyemi. No. And I think we've, we've talked about this. He replaces Phil Deneau, right? I think that's that, that's the difference. The major difference, though, is that he's probably going to sp- score as many goals as Phil Deneau and Kakanyemi did last year. I think that that's where things are going to start to shift. Nick Suzuki scored at a 20-goal pace last year in his sophomore season. I feel like this, this has been a problem with the Montreal Canadiens dating back to 2009, I would say, because they have never had two centers that scored 20 goals each since Koivu Plakanitz. Think about that for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's almost 12, 13 years, folks that two centers on the Montreal Canadiens didn't have 20 goals. And I'm not even talking about, like, 20-goal pace. Yeah, overall, 20 goals, pacing to score 20 goals, not two centers. Granted, David Dernay and Scott Gomez were centers during the last 13 years, and they didn't score lots of goals. They, they were mostly assists. But you need to get scoring from your center line. Kakaniemi provided good secondary scoring during the playoffs for a center. But Nick Suzuki was doing most of the heavy lifting because Phil Deneau was doing nothing. Um, at the end of the day, having a Christian Dvorak that could likely pot 20 goals playing on a power play as well, I think that it brings about a new dimension from the center line and it makes the Canadians less predictable from an offensive perspective. Again, as we talked about early in the podcast, the wild card will remain Jake Evans. At center. I agree, at center. but In terms of scoring at center, make or break, it's going to be Evans. I think if Evans hits the ground running and is able to get that 10, 12 goals, good defense, and maybe, you know, the 15 to 20 assists, then you're in business. 
if he's in the 2025 range, then then things are going to be a little bit more difficult, especially when you start playing better teams that can match up against yeah, you. Yeah, so... Uh, and look, if he's given those former 30-goal scorers as wingers, anything's possible. But, but to go. go back to that second line, I feel like the X factor is going to be Drouin. Uh, just look, if he's able to stay healthy and just, just play the entire season, he has so much talent, he's just going to feed Josh Anderson. He's just going to feed Dvorak. And he's just going to complement that second line with the type of player we didn't have last year, where he was injured most of the year, he wasn't there. If Drouin plays the full season, I guarantee the second line is going to score a bunch of goals, even maybe more than that first line. Who knows? I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, if Josh Anderson is able to maintain consistency, that's going to be a dangerous second line. That that's I guess that's my opinion there. It's It all stems from that. So ultimately for me, if you're going to get scoring, it's going to come from that second line. If you're going to get depth scoring, then Jake Evans' line is going to have to produce. After that, it's anybody's game. Uh, in fact, I would say that the biggest question mark for me is offense from the back end. And we talked about Weidman, maybe Niku. I think a lot of it's going to pass by Petrie, but I'm going to be very interested to see if Romanov can take the next step offensively as well. Turning our attention now to other NHL news, let's talk about somebody's ra uh, jersey being raised to the rafters, and that's not just any somebody, it's the king. Henrik Lundqvist's jersey will be raised at Madison Square Garden on January the 28th of next year. It's the game that actually they're facing off against the Minnesota Wild, so Zuccarillo will be there. Uh, I can't think of a better time to make this happen, and it's also nice to see that franchises are figuring this out, that you don't wait till for a few years, you, you make it happen as soon as possible, and I think it's a great move, and I don't think anybody else will disagree on this podcast. Uh, he's a future Hall of Famer, so that's that's all you need to know. I was, I was going to say, who else in the last 20 years are they going to retire? It's just him, just like Montreal. If Henrik Lundqvist is getting his jersey retired, I think it's kind of understood that, you know, Carey Price has a, a significant shot as well, right? Um, do I think Lundqvist deserves it? Absolutely. I think he's easily top two, top three. Like, I, if, I feel like top two, top three goalie of his generation. Um, you know, especially the way that the Rangers were. Um, he consistently put up good numbers no matter what their situation was. And... You know, unlike Price, who has, you know, dipped because of injuries, but has been rather stellar in the playoffs, he's been stellar all the time. And that kind of consistency, uh, you know, there's nothing that you can do about it. What he did for the community, um, you know, for me, it's a no-brainer. I think that he is the only surefire candidate, in my honest opinion, to play for, for the Rangers over the last 20 years that deserves to have his jersey retired. Easily in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I can only think of another goaltender that comes to mind immediately, Luongo, another one who doesn't have a Stanley Cup ring on his finger, but he nonetheless deserves all the reverence and all the praise for an amazing, and amazing career. Throwing it now to the final look of the games coming up before our next podcast, which is on Friday and Saturday, we'll be facing off against the Ottawa Senators, and then on Tuesday next week, we'll be facing off against the Leafs. Final thoughts before we end off the show. Cuts are coming. I mean, at this point, uh, junior seasons are starting on Friday. Um, I think a lot of these players, like like Caden Gooley, um, you know, they're 
you you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with them. I think they're going to be sent back. Um, and even next week uh, begins uh, the training, or actually tomorrow is the Rockets training camp. So I expect some AHL cuts as well, like the more obvious ones, and they're going to keep kind of the fringe NHL players uh, around. So I look forward to seeing tighter hockey. I look forward to seeing uh, a little bit more of what this team could eventually look like. And uh, ultimately for me, um, it's going to be very fun to see uh, who's really able to take their chance. Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting to see those lines maybe gel more together in, in the upcoming games, upcoming week. And hopefully next week uh, when we record, we have more of an idea of those bottom six forwards who might slot in with who and even on defense what pairings we might be uh, seeing uh, to start the season all that and more to look forward to in your future ladies and gentlemen but that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the hockey flow again i'm pleased to share this show with adam boucher who you can find on twitter at really adam b and marco who can be found at scrimmagestats.com and at the hockey expert and usually somewhere pissing off kane's twitter in any case, I'm Major Cordero. We'll catch you guys, gals, and non-rivalry pals next week.